Wonderful to see you today. Amazing job to our worship team. Some of you are like, that's not Doug. <laughs> he might have eaten Doug and gone up there, but that's definitely not Doug. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Grand Prairie. Uh, Temple is a big part of my life because my wife, Jenny, works at Temple Christian School. My kids, Aubrey and Vance, both attend school here. My very best friend I grew up with and played football with, Neil Childs, uh, is the headmaster here. And then I am your pastor's best friend. That is a difficult, difficult job description. Um, but I am here today in that capacity. Lance called me just a couple of weeks back, and he said, Brian, I've got a real special occasion, and I want you to come out. And I was like, it's Doug's 50th birthday. That is fantastic. Uh, a century, right, a half century old. I've been waiting on that. He said, no, no, no. He said, it is his 10-year anniversary as lead pastor of the church. And so in that capacity, yeah. It is a supreme privilege to uh, not only honor our Lord Jesus Christ today, but it is very fitting to honor Pastor Doug, his beautiful wife, Marisa, Garrett, Ethan, and Bryson Reif, uh, your lead pastor, the first family of Temple Baptist Church for 10 years of, did you like that first family? You didn't like that, I know. 10 years of service here at Temple, a decade, and that's a big deal nowadays. A decade at one church. That's more than double the national average in a day where we find that only 10% of men who enter the pastorate retire there. And so, Doug, to you and your family, I want to applaud you because I've had a ringside seat with you for the blessings and the pain, the mud, the blood, the tears, the good things, the births, the deaths, all of it along the way. And I want to say how very proud I am of you and your family for remaining faithful and doing such an amazing job at this amazing church. Can we give another big hand to the Wright family? So I want to introduce you all to somebody today. I think we got a photo of these folks. These two are members of my church, uh, and they are just as big a sweethearts as they look like. This is Judge and Edna Chambers. They are both in their 90s. They have been married 72 years. And they're just as amazing as they look. And you know the thing is, we pastors uh, always have very mixed feelings when some of our folks that are so good and so faithful and we've come to love, when they go home to be with the Lord, we're happy for them, we're brokenhearted for our churches. And it was about three weeks ago that Edna went home to be with Jesus. And that was exactly a month and two days after Judge did. And it was almost like when Judge went... Half of Edna's heart and her soul went. And she was already telling her family, we need to put everything in order because it's not going to be long. Uh, she actually, before he died, they were at the hospital at Arlington Memorial Hospital. And, um, and Judge said that he was getting ready. He was tired. He was ready to go to heaven. And Edna said, well, I want you to go get that mansion ready. And he said, I'm not sure I want a mansion. I might want a cabin. I think that's going to be more fitting for me. And she said, well, whatever it is, go get it ready because I'm going to be right behind you. And she was. 
After uh, Edna's passing, I gathered with a family at, at the Chamber's house on Westminster Avenue in Grand Prairie, and I sat down with her two adult, obviously, sons and the entire family. We gathered around and just started sharing memories. We talked about all the funny things and the witty things. This couple was so young at heart. I mean, I mean, look at them, just like two old Baptists just dancing up a storm, right? Already, you're just like, wow. Um, we just talked and laughed about all the amazing times. We cried a little bit. We just had that moment that a family has when their folks have gone on home. And I remember Larry, the oldest son, right in the middle of the conversation, he said, probably didn't think a thing about it, but he said, you know, it's amazing. You look around at this house. This house is really a museum of what was important to my mom and dad. It was really a museum of what was important to my mom and dad. And and just in that way, the Holy Spirit likes to do that, to let one little phrase. That's what's going to happen to some of you this morning. You may not get the message I'm giving, but God's got a different message for you. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit will take that one little thing and, and pinpoint it to your heart and your situation. He said, this house is really a museum of what was important to my parents, and it stuck with me. I want to entitle our time together today, these few short moments, very simply, Museum. If you think about it, your life is the museum of your values. Your life is the museum. It is the display point to what you consider most important in life. If you really want to know about a person, you don't necessarily need to just hear what they say or check their theology or find out if they have some kind of mantra or creed. If you really want to know a person, find out where they live, go to where they breathe. Go to their home and perform a kind of forensic analysis into the details of their day-to-day life. Look at their living room. Look at the pictures that adorn their walls. Look at the Bible or the lack thereof. Look at their bookshelves. Check their internet history. Check the closets. Check where they live and where they breathe. And you quickly form a conclusion that's pretty accurate about what they valued in life. Well, sitting in Judge and Edna's home that afternoon, I arrived at three conclusions, unmistakable conclusions, having known them for years and just looking around at their life. I came to three conclusions. First of all, they loved Jesus. It was incredibly apparent. It was everywhere. It was all over them. It was on their finances. It was on the fact that I'd go to the hospital and Edna suffering there would be like, preacher, don't leave just yet. I got my tithe check. I feel like a robber walking out the hospital with a tithe check in my hand. But it was that important to her. She valued the work of the king. They loved Jesus. They loved his church. They loved Calvary Baptist as imperfect as it was, as imperfect as its pastor was. They loved it. They attended it. They put their kids there. They put their resources there. They put their energy there for decades. They loved Jesus. They loved his church. And they loved their community. They were in Grand Prairie from day one. And they loved it and they served it till they died. Here's the thing. This couple wasn't naive. They weren't like your Ned Flanders, like goody-goody type Christians. They weren't starry-eyed dreamers. The reality is these folks had been through a world war. These folks had been married for 72 years. If you've been married five years without a homicide, God is working in your life. 
Jenny and I, my, my beautiful wife who's here today, we are going to be married 25 years next June. And she has taken to watching this show called Forensic Files. How many of you watch that show, Forensic Files? Let me just give you the cliff note. Someone always dies. And the thing is, it's usually like somebody gets poisoned. It's some kind of secret thing. So I noticed she's watching this show. The other day, I look over. She's taking notes. And I'm like, honey, what are you doing? She's like, you never know. You better watch yourself, right? 72 years of marriage. They raise boys for all you that are raising boys. Judge had had two open heart surgeries, his knees replaced, his hips replaced. He'd had skin cancer, high blood pressure, kidney failure, and had had breast cancer, a heart attack, shingles, macular degeneration, kidney issues. This couple had been through the ringer physically, and they'd seen everything life can throw at you. They'd been through it all, and their values were still Jesus. His church, his work, his kingdom, our community. Why? Why? Honestly, I mean, if we're being real, if you ought to, you ought to be real anywhere, it ought to be church. That's not really what most of us value. We might say we do. But if you really look at our calendar, if you really look at our agenda, if you really look in our home, if you really look at our pastimes, if you really look in our checkbook, most of us, it's somewhere pretty far down the line, those priorities. They held them high. What did this couple know that we might have missed? After all those years of living and loving and working What might they have known that we've missed? I want to ask you for a few moments to walk with me through their museum and to see what drove their life and so many before them's lives. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. In your Bible, on your phone, Matthew chapter 6. When I came to do Edna's funeral and I, I got her Bible, I love to preach someone's message out of their Bible. The section I'm about to read to you was underlined and re-underlined and re-underlined till it was cutting through the page. Matthew 6, verse 19. This is Jesus talking. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy And where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Go to verse number 31. Therefore do not be anxious saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For the Gentiles, people that don't know Jesus, seek after all those things. That's super high on their priority list. Your heavenly Father knows you need all that. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all the stuff, all of it important, but all of it needing to be in its place. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
Father, before we go one step further, I just pray for the power of the Holy Spirit on this today. Thank you for this occasion. Thank you for this time. We can't do a thing without you. You're the one who takes the word and makes it potent. You're the one who sets it on fire and sends it to our heart where it changes things. So we give this time to you and ask for your work in it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We could spend, in fact, I'm sure your pastor has, we could spend time doing series after series and really never scratch the surface of this amazing text and these words spoken by Jesus Christ some 2,000 years ago. But if I were going to put it to a cliff note version, if I were to kind of extrapolate the main point, the main point of this passage would be this, your priorities become your destiny. So choose the right priorities. Your priorities become your destiny, so choose the right priorities. Stephen Covey in his book, First Things First, described a story that one of his associates had experienced at a seminar. You've probably heard this before, but he talked about the fact that a guy came out with a jar, an empty vessel, and another jar filled with rocks. He took the second jar, poured all the rocks into the first jar, and he asked the question to all the people seated there in the seminar, can you get anything else in this jar? And they said, no, it's full. Then he took out another jar with small rocks, pebbles, and he poured it all the way to the top. Okay, now can you get anything else in this jar? And they were on to him now. They said, yes. So now he gets sand and pours it in. And now he gets water and pours it in. And he gets it all the way crammed full to the top. And he said, what is the lesson in the jar? Somebody smiled and they raised their hand. They said, the lesson is there's always room for one more thing. He said, that's not it. The lesson is, if you're going to get the big rocks in, you better get them in first. Big rocks. To Judge and Edna, it was a big rock to get Jesus into their family, to get his word and to get prayer into their lives. It was a big rock to be part of a local community of believers. It was a big rock to serve in the community of Grand Prairie where God had put them. And they felt like if we're going to live a life that honors him, we better get the big rocks in first. Because the reality is, people who neglect the king of kings, it's not because they hate him, dislike him, or want to. It's because they got other rocks in place and there's no room left. When Jesus came to this earth in Bethlehem, you remember that Mary and Joseph are trying to find a place for his birth. And you remember what they said, those two words. There's no room We are preoccupied. There's no room for him. We'd love to have him come in, but somebody's already here. Ladies and gentlemen, you can waste your life by simply being preoccupied. You can miss the big rocks. That couple prioritized God and people. That's what I want to do with my life. No doubt if you're a believer in Jesus, that's what you want to do with your life. So how do we do it? I want to give you a couple of thoughts from our text today. The first one is this, if you're going to get those rocks in first, if your life is going to be a museum that paints a picture of loving God and loving people, a couple of things to understand and to realize and let our heart grip this morning. The first one is this, only one God satisfies. Only one God satisfies. Brian, what do you mean? We're, we're, Obviously, there's one God, Jehovah God, the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus, the God of Christianity. And I would simply say, no, there are many, many gods. Let me explain. 
We human beings are finite creatures. We're not infinite. That means we have limited resources, a limited amount of time, money, and energy. We cannot divest these resources unendingly, so we make decisions. I won't do this, so I can do that. I won't give money or time or energy here because I'm going to give it over there. I'm going to put it in the places that I feel are most important. I'm going to prioritize something over something else, someone over someone else. We invest our resources in that which we see as most valuable. We make those decisions every single day, don't we? And the truth is, they, it might seem basic, they're worship decisions. Worship. You ever think about that word? It comes from the Old English, worth-ship. Whatever is worth the most to you, you will orient your life around that. If it's worth something to you, if it's worthy to you, you will worship it. Friends, can I suggest to you, listen, you might say Jesus is your God. You might say Jehovah is your God. But whatever you orient your life around is really your God. Whatever you circle, like the earth circles the sun, whatever you're in orbit around, Whatever you invest your resources of time, energy, money, talent is your God. And and the idea is, I think Judge and Edna got this and Jesus got this. And the, the, the people who went before us, some of them got this. Only one God satisfies. Only one God satisfies. Verse 21, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where your God goes... Your heart will follow. God is saying, listen to me, there's some stuff that you might be investing your life in that's going to break your heart. You're going to lose it. You're going to lose them. Make sure it's something that will last. Five years ago, man, it seems like uh, incredible that it's been five years. Your pastor and I took a a trip to Nigeria This was actually 2016. I think we've got a photo here of that. 2016. And we look like an adoptive couple right there. Um. (laughs) And he's way more tan than me, which is very fixing. I look like a, I can't even say it. A, a ghost walking, right? Um, this trip to Nigeria, we, we fly over there and I got to see the work of your orphanage, the work that, that the troops are doing, the work that y'all have invested so many resources in through your church. I got to actually go and see it. Well, the thing is, when we arrive at the troops' house, Doug and I, he was fresh off a, a pretty major back surgery. They lead us into our room and wouldn't you know it, our room is bunk beds. And the bunk beds are not like solidly constructed steel frame bunk beds. They're old school rickety creak when you step on them bunk beds. And so he's like, I can't sleep on the top. I just had this surgery. If I sleep up there and roll off, I'm a dead man. So you got to sleep on the top. And I was like, I'd be happy to. So he gets on the bottom bunk, I get in the top bunk. Every single night, creak, crack, like that thing's snapping. I'm lying there above him, and I just hear him praying quietly, Jesus, please, please, please keep me safe from that, right? So we're in those bunk beds. One night, 
and, and I've never in my life had it like this. There's a thunderstorm. Am I lying about this? A thunderstorm like you ain't never seen before a thunderstorm. And there is a lightning bolt. It must have been right outside our bunk beds. That's all I can say. Because it struck with such force and like power and, and sound that I went straight into the fetal position and screamed. That's how it went. And, and I literally, I was like, I sat there for a minute and I said, I said, dude, are you in the fetal position? He goes, yes. <laughs> we both were in there. Nigeria, man, that was an amazing trip, wasn't it? How many, how, just being with those kids and being with the troops and preaching the word and a million stories I can't tell you about and like so many things on that trip. A couple years later, we go to Uganda, 2017, and we got some pictures of that. Absolutely gorgeous. Go to the next one. Um, we got to actually go into refugee camps with refugees coming out of South Sudan, one of the most violent places on earth, and then coming out of the Congo, another most violent place on earth. We got to go in and train pastors how to start churches when they went back into these war-torn areas. This is your pastor in a little bitty church preaching. The next one's me in a little bitty church. We're teaching. You can go to the next one. We're doing this T for T material. Go to the next one. This is uh the group of us, Sean Edwards and, and, and our great friend there from Uganda and the two of us. Um, the next one's one of my favorite pictures. I love this. Us just chatting, man. We go into the, and, and listen, this is a tough, 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 tough trip. Accommodations were tough. Weather was tough. We were crammed into a tiny little van where you couldn't bend your knees straight for hours and hours on end. And, and got through that with like prayer and sarcasm was only what got, what got us through at times. But we're preaching and we're working. Let's see the next one. Yeah. Oh, there's a special story here. The bathrooms in these places, uh, were rough. That, and yes, the, the floor of the shower is right next to the toilet. Absolutely accurate. And, and I remember telling the guys, like, we came, came together, we're all bags under our eyes the next morning. And I was like, that was rough, man. That was a rough night. And they were like, did you have a toilet seat? I was like, yes. They were like, we didn't. Neither one of them had that. So I had the penthouse right there with the toilet seat. Let's see that next one. This is on the very last day where we got together and just like feasted after doing this work of traveling and preaching and teaching. Can I just tell y'all, I've never felt more alive than I did on those two trips. I never felt like the joy, man, I've experienced joys. I've experienced the joy of my marriage and my beautiful kids. Those are way up on the list. I've enjoyed so many good, good vacations and nice things and easy things. But when you're doing the work of the king, when you're preaching the word, when you're speaking the word, when you're living the word, when you're investing your life in something bigger than you, it is indescribable, the satisfaction that God puts right in the center of you. Only one God satisfies. Here's a second reason to make your life a museum of God and people. Only one kingdom survives. Verses 19 and 20 say it like this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. 
Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break through and steal. God is saying, listen, all the stuff, you can't take it with you. All the stuff, you're going to lose it. All the glory, you're going to part with it. All the things that people spend their lives straining and fighting and worrying about it, you're not going to keep it. One commentator said, sooner or later, everything we own ends up in the junkyard. Christmas and birthday presents, cars, boats, hot tubs, clothes, stereos, barbecues, the treasures that children quarreled about, friendships were lost over, honesty was sacrificed over, marriages broke up over, all end up there in the junkyard. All the glory of man, all the little Instagram polishing we try to do to our reputation, every ounce of it dies at the graveyard. Jesus is saying, put your treasure, put your heart, put your time. All those things are fine, but at the front of the line, get God, get people. It'll never die. You'll never lose it. One more thought. Only one God satisfies and only one kingdom survives. Finally, only one investment saves. C.S. Lewis said this, I've never gotten over it, and the God's way with words obviously is unreal. He said, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals who we joke with work with, marry, snub, and exploit. It is immortals, immortal horrors, or everlasting splendors. Immortal horrors, or everlasting splendors. I don't know about you, but the stuff I get so worked up about. And that little girl in the checkout counter at the grocery store means more than all of it put together. Her soul, her life, she's immortal. Everything else is gone, but she survives. We survive. Just a few months ago on a Sunday morning, and the family said, man, Brian, when you when you preach that her funeral we want you to say this with all of our kids, with all the grandkids, with this big, beautiful family. We want you to say this and tell this story, please. Edna's at Arlington Memorial Hospital just a few weeks before she dies. And she tells her two boys, I, I need to talk to you. I want you to come and, and see me. I need to talk to you. I need to speak with you. They come into the room. And right there on your deathbed, when it gets real, man, no games, no subterfuge, reality. I'm about to leave. She says, boys, i got to talk to you about the grandkids. Do they know Jesus? Are you sure? What about my greats? Are you sure? Boys, I want you to be sure that my grandkids, my grandbabies are going to be with me. When I get to heaven, because that's what matters. Let me ask you a question today. Your life is the museum of your values. 
What's in your museum this morning? What person or things rise to the top of the list? What's most important? Ah, no, this is personal. If we looked at the pictures on your wall, if we walk through your home, even the back rooms where you don't let company, if we went deeper and saw your closets and your checkbook and your internet history, if we went deeper to what you read and what you listen to and what you love, what tale would that tell of what is most important to you? Can I ask you today, do you love Jesus? Does your life reflect that? Let me ask you a question that is not in vogue today. The local church has never been more dismissed than it is at this moment in time. Do you love Christ's church? Jesus said, that's my body, my body. It is ridiculous to say, I love Jesus, but I hate his body. Does your life show it? Do you love your community? Do you love your Fort Worth? Do you love your little piece of sovereign territory where God put you? If this was your service today, like it was Edna's some weeks ago, your casket or urn, your flowers, your congregation, your message, what would the message be? Your priorities become your destiny. So choose the right priorities. I'm going to ask if you would to bow your heads. I'm going to ask Trevor to come. He's just going to play quietly. I want to ask you a question, and then we're going to do something special today. You know, the first thing God put in my heart when I started praying about what to say today, about what the Spirit would have me express, because that's the only thing that really matters. The first thing in my notes was, you got a great pastor. There are a lot of people who'd love to have your pastor. He's in demand. You got a great pastor written on my on my notepad. You got a great opportunity. Your community is growing. There's houses everywhere sprouting up. You got a great God. You've got a sovereign God who's just as much at work as he was 2,000 years ago. Don't let anybody tell you different. You've got a God who pinned his son to a cross. And he died and he came back in triumph. And he's ruling and reigning today. He said, all power's given to me in heaven and in earth. Don't you let the news fool you. He is ruling and reigning in sovereignty today. You've got a great pastor and a great opportunity, and you've got a great God. What's stopping you? What's stopping you from being all in? From being all in?